And remember, the opinions and views expressed in the OC Show with Cameron Jackson do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Orange County, are you ready? It's time. For the best damn radio show in all of Orange County. What's it called? The OC Show! Right here, right now, on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, Cameron Jackson sits behind this microphone of truth, telling you what really goes on in Orange County politics. That's right. You can always count on three things here in Orange County. Corrupt politicians. Expensive SUVs. And Cameron Jackson. Every Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. Telling you the truth about what really goes on in Orange County politics. baby welcome to the show i am cameron jackson this is the oc show right here on kuci 88.9 fm in irvine the greatest radio station in all of orange county this is the greatest radio show in all of orange county coming to you live every friday from 5 to 6 p.m if you are just joining us and you want to continue listening to this awesome radio station you can do so once you get outside of your vehicle go to kuci.org click in the upper right hand corner for your streaming audio also, you can go to my blog anytime you'd like, theocshow.net. That is theocshow.net. You can listen to previous interviews that I have done. You can see upcoming guests. And speaking of which, I have a guest with me on the phone today. I'm very, very pleased to have this gentleman with me. Uh, I don't know if you have, uh, if you read the Orange County Register, but if you have uh, for any length of time, you know the name Stephen Greenhut. And Stephen uh, was a longtime journalist, uh, political commentator over at the Orange County Register, and he is currently, he's left that position, and he's gone up to Sacramento to work with the Pacific Research Institute. Uh, it's a kind of a public policy think tank. Uh, their mission is to champion freedom, opportunity, and personal responsibility for all individuals by advancing free market policy solutions. I like it. Sounds good, and I like that. Uh, I like those ideals. Um, Stephen uh, is, has recently authored a book called Plunder, How Public Employee Unions Are Raiding Treasuries, Controlling Our Lives, and Bankrupting the Nation. Uh, Stephen, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. You know, I I really appreciate, uh, you know, I got the review copy of the book, and I, and I read it. And um, I have to say, I have to really comment you on the book because, um, for one, it was very well thought out. For two, it was uh, well-written. Um, well and three, it was, you know, this is such an emotional subject for people, public employee unions and what we should do with them. And it was... It was um, written really rather unemotionally. I mean, you really just bore the facts out there for us to read and kind of take away from it what we want to take away from it. And it's, it's a, a, an amazing read. Uh, what was your inspiration behind read, uh, you know, writing the book? Oh, okay. Well, thanks for, thanks for those nice compliments. Uh, it was my reporting um, and writing at the Orange County Register. I had, you know, watched for these year, number of years watching these deals go forward. And um, as, as since... Uh, 
you saw in the book, it wasn't all just about the finances. Some of the most frustrating things that I wrote about in Orange County were some of the uh, jail beating issues in the OC jails, uh, some of the abuse of power issues uh, that I saw, and uh, in, in, uh, you know, a lot of it was in my based on my reporting in Orange County, and but but and, and elsewhere too. Um, and and the unions have been a huge obstacle to the reform of public services. And I, uh, you know, I've made, in many cases, I found myself, uh, you know, being in Northern California now, and I head to San Francisco a lot and do a lot of work in San Francisco and making common cause with people who don't share my libertarian political philosophy, uh, who are, you know, on the progressive end, because this whole public employee union issue is an enormous obstacle, uh, you know, to uh, to the funding of all public services. If we're going to spend all our money on uh, retired public employees, as some of these budget numbers are just it's just eating up more and more of, of local budgets that leaves a lot less uh, money for a lot of the programs that uh, people care about uh, people on the left care about and um, so you know the, and, and I care about programs too I mean there are certain things that government should do I'm a libertarian so my view of how big government should be would be be much smaller than uh, you know I'm not sure what your views are but but much smaller than most people's views uh, but we can argue about that another day but we shouldn't be spending all our money on uh, on this sort of thing it's not sustainable so uh, you know I watch this go on I watch Republicans do these ridiculous uh, you know pension increasing deals um, and I saw Republicans uh, cause the same mess that Democrats have caused in other parts of the state so it just seemed like a problem that was um, statewide and, and and it has hit it has the, the the issue has obviously become extremely big news and i think that's what running out of money does it focuses the the mind of government officials you, you know the entire subject though of pension reform and public employee unions on many levels on many levels is just simply overwhelming to most people because there's so many different facets of the how it's implemented how it gets uh uh brought out in policy and in laws. Uh, the state of our budget locally in Orange County and in California and many other states across the Union like New Jersey, New York, and Illinois uh, are feeling the wrath of poor budget management and overly generous pension packages to state and local government workers. Um, these governments, like ours, are on the brink of financial collapse. What Can you give the listener a sense, a historical sense of how we got to this point? Yeah, it's it's really it's kind of depressing. Um, the, basically, through collective bargaining, the uh, the employees or the unions are able to elect their own bosses, and and that's what what infuriated me a lot at the local level was watching. Um, and, and well, what what typically would happen at, at a city council level, the uh, the employees doing the bargaining with the union would typically be members of those unions. And they would negotiate in closed session with with the unions, and the taxpayer wouldn't even know what the what the whole thing was about. I mean, one of the one of the stories that sparked the book uh, was what happened in in Fullerton, um, and and that's exactly what happened. Was this deal was cut? Well, the, it was being negotiated in closed session, so we don't know. Uh, in closed session, we're not we we're not privy to the details. Uh, but the union members of the union already knew all about what was in the deal because they had a vote on it. But members of the public weren't even informed the nature of the conversations going on. And under the Brown Act, the public's supposed to have as much information as possible without divulging, you know, the details of the specific negotiations. And one councilman, now a supervisor, uh, Sean Nelson, called me when I was an editorial writer at the Orange County Register and told me what the nature of the negotiations are, and I wrote about that. And boy, did the establishment come down on him like a ton of bricks, Republicans and Democrats, by the way. I mean, I one, one prominent Orange County state senator Dick Ackerman laid into me when I saw him at the Republican convention because of what Sean did. Um, so both, it's a bipartisan thing, and I and I watch, and this is so. Anyway, my point here is is the, the institutionally uh, the way things are set up uh, just creates this one way ratchet. If you have people, uh, uh, you know, negotiating and the taxpayers cut out of the deal, and the, and it's rigged, the system's rigged to favor these deals, and then of course elected officials, every elected official. Uh, wants to pose with the police cruiser and the firefighter and put those on the mailers and and that usually means having to uh, give in to the unions and these unions tend to be the most powerful 
uh, forces in local government. We saw that when later when Sean Nelson decided to run for county supervisor, uh, the unions pulled out the stops. They weren't able to stop him, but they dropped over a million dollars in IEs in favor of his opponent and against Sean in a race that usually raised, causes about $200,000. So that's one That's one of the reasons. Uh, people are afraid of the power of the unions. And, and I watch here in Sacramento, and the unions really run the show. I mean, the, the Assembly Speaker is a former organizer, uh, United Food and Commercial Workers of Los Angeles, that's John Perez, and the uh, Senate pro tem, Daryl Steinberg, was an SEIU lawyer. So, uh, you know, it's they are the unions are the leadership now and and that's they think like union members and they have the power and and they keep pushing these pay and pay, pay deals and it's really uh, taking a toll on the quality of public services and on our budgets i mean stanford university estimates that the unfunded pension liability in california is a half trillion dollars i mean that, i can't even fathom how big that is and then the little Hoover Commission, which is a government uh, oversight agency, yeah, don't, don't, by, don't, yeah, don't get ahead, yeah, don't get ahead of us yet. I, I oh, to, uh, sorry, sorry about that. No, I, I keep rambling. No, no, on that's okay. Apologies. I don't want you to get ahead of me though, because I do want to talk about the little Hoover Commission. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's okay. let's, let's back up just a minute though, because uh, you know when you talk about, and I almost, I, I guess we kind of almost have to get to that now. But you know, the unions explain to the listener how um, deep the unions have been able to embed themselves into government here in California. And really, I mean, I think, I think across the nation they've done the same thing. But, I mean, I, it's really insidious here in California. Can you explain what they do, how it is they get funded, and then how it is that they use that money, really, which is public money, <laughs> to fund their candidates? Can you talk about that? Right. They're able, I mean, the, the, the government takes out, you know, the... the dues from the members paycheck and and deposits it with the union so and do they they, just, but do the members have an option on that can they can they say in, no in uh it, well we don't have paycheck protection would would offer that option now uh teachers can opt out and there's certain uh opting out uh things that they can opt out uh but uh, the the opting out procedure is so difficult. I've talked to people who tried to opt out, and it's this small window of opportunity, and it's it's really um, it's difficult to opt out. So paycheck protection would make it so that members have to essentially opt in to pay those dues, um, and it's it's just it's it's really a system that that benefits the. Um, benefits the union they have an almost endless uh hand in their in the wallets of their members and and the union spent uh, 30 million dollars in independent expenditures on behalf of jerry brown um and i'm not a jerry brown hater by any means uh but you know i i am very frustrated that he hasn't been willing to take on the unions and i think in part this because it was a record spending amount by the unions on his behalf an amount that i heard uh, was equivalent to all the IEs spent on all previous uh, gu- gubernatorial elections combined, but I haven't been able to, to track that down for sure. But it's an enormous amount of money, and when and, and whenever so so the unions have the system is rigged at every level, and I, I rigged I don't mean it in a in a you know conspiratorial way, but I mean that there's I just so hard to figure out how to fix the system because uh, the unions uh, dominate the political system at the state and the local level, and the legal cases seem to back them up in every, every at every level, and it's just so hard to. There are very few things that can be done to combat that this pension problem, uh, other than firing people. And and uh, you know we see like in for instance in Vallejo, the city which went bankrupt. Um, what what the officials there have ended up doing was just massively cutting services. So it's insane to have to cut a third of your police force while you're paying police captains three hundred thousand dollars a year and they're getting six figure uh, uh, pensions. Um, and we see the percentage of of budgets that are being eaten up by pensions and 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 affect health benefits. So the Sacramento Bee, which is no conservative newspaper, they had an, an editorial um, last year that said that governments are becoming pension providers that provide public services on the side. And in, in San Diego, 70% of their payroll budget goes to retiree benefits in health and health uh, and pension. And that's incredible. I mean, how do you run anything if 70% of your payroll budget is going to the people who aren't providing any work or services at all? I mean, it, it being in the private sector, we'd be out of business. 
If you're just joining us, my guest today is Stephen Greenhut, author of the book Plunder, How Public Employee Unions Are Raiding Treasuries, Controlling Our Lives, and Bankrupting the Nation. If you go to my blog, theocshow.net, that is theocshow.net, you can see uh, a copy of the book, you can see what it looks like, and you can click on the book, and it will take you to the Amazon link if you... uh, so desire and want to uh, delve into a very, very well-written book about our public employee pensions. Stephen, you know, um, as I read through your book, I felt like in many ways that you had a crystal ball and you were able to kind of predict the future. One of the key themes in your book was this, that public employment benefits are quickly outstripping our ability to pay them. And as such, taxes will either need to be raised or basic public services will need to be diminished in order to sustain the public employee benefit system. Just this week here in Orange County, the city of Costa Mesa has voted to lay off half its workers. The primary reason, out of the $93 million budget, the city is spending more than $15 million on pensions, and that number is projected to be about uh, above $25 million in the next five years. Is this going to be the new normal for state and local governments? Uh, and can you give uh, the listener a sense of how deep the hole is that we have dug for ourselves on this issue? Well, yeah, it's, it's a hole that, and, and I don't mean to get ahead on, on the little Hoover Commission, but right. they, they agreed uh, with the, the, the obvious point, which is that something has to be done about the, the packages for the current workers um, or else, because the unfunded liability, which is the debt, that's for current workers and current retirees. So most of the debate has been about changing the system for new hires. But I, I, that won't fix the problem because that's just for new hires. In fact, I was at a hearing, um, a Senate hearing, where the, the Democrats quashed uh, a very modest attempt to have a new pension, lower pension benefit, still very generous, but lower pension benefit for new hires. And the head of the committee said something to the effect of, well, it's not going to fix anything anyway. It's only for new hires. So let's just not do anything, essentially. Let's let it be handled at the negotiating table. And Orange County's own Lou Correa was heading that committee, and he was the author of the legislation back in 99 that caused, caused a lot of this pension spiking. And he agreed with that and said, well, we'll let it be fixed at the negotiating table. So anyway, the, the Democrats who support these deals, and some Republicans too, they say, well, if we just go forward, uh, it's not going to fix anything. We, but we have to do something about uh, the current current pension. So in the private sector, what has, what has happened, and I had this happen to me, is I'm made whole up until today. Uh, it's unfair to change, you know, earn benefits. But starting tomorrow, I'm now earning a lower pension benefit. And that's what has to happen in the public sector, but doesn't happen right now. And once a deal is, is approved regardless of how badly the unions lied to city councils or, or misled or however, whatever term you want to use, it's, it's a done deal for the, for the life of the person and his spouse or her spouse. I mean, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous system. And if we don't change that, then, to get back to your question, then we have no other choice other than massive layoffs. There is nothing else that officials can do. And the unions fight any sort of reasonable reform. So what I think we have to look at are either a changed legal climate to allow this kind of change in pensions, or uh, we're going to look at massive layoffs. And and going back to the the Vallejo example, they they chose to shut down fire stations and slash their police force by a third. And yet people like me who've been sounding the alarm, the unions say we're anti-public safety. But it's their policies who are reducing the actual public safety, you know, that that the public is experiencing uh, so that they can pay a a level of pensions that is really uh, unconscionable. It's not needed either. It's just, it's not needed. We don't need to be paying people that amount in retirement at ages, you know, as early as age 50. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, too. You, you, you mentioned in the book uh, about San Diego and the drop program there. And essentially the drop program is, uh, is a retirement where after you, you retire on a certain day and then you keep collecting funds and they put the funds into a special account. And, and so you're like double dipping at the same time. It's, it's very convoluted. And I used to be a San Diego police officer. 
And down there in San Diego, that was that was the talk of the town when I got on the police force was that they have this new drop program. And there were some people, I know some people who have retired since then, who retired with millions of dollars because of the drop program. And they're making millions of dollars in retirement. And it makes me chuckle because I have friends down there. I'm in, I'm in the private sector now. And I have friends down there at the police department who grumble about all of the retirement benefits that they're trying to take away from them and that they have to pay more into the retirement now. And I... I honestly have to laugh at them and say, you have it so good. You don't even know how good you have it, even even with the little bit that you have to pay. And, you know, where is, is – do you see, when you're out there, do you see that the public is starting to wake up to this and they're starting to say, okay, you know, we've heard the public safety – because you make a big point in the book about how – of all the jobs, and I agree with you. I mean, I used to be a police officer. I agree with you. Police work is not that dangerous when you compare it to other jobs like crab fishing up in uh, in Alaska. And public safety jobs aren't even on, and you have a graph in here about how public safety jobs aren't even on the list, like the top ten list of most dangerous jobs. And yet they use those emotional polls to get these plans put in place. Is the public waking up to this, or are they still going to be influenced by this for the next 10, 15, 20 years? Well, it's it's a tough one, uh, but I do see I've I've noticed a sea change. I used to have to tread very carefully when I talked about you know, those sorts of issues, the police and fire issues. Uh, but now it's 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 less so. People understand. In fact, one of the big national firefighter unions uh, actually featured me in one of their ads, not in a favorable way. Um, my uh, my mom actually had called me. She was watching TV, and she called me. She goes, Stephen, you're on TV. I'm like, wow, I haven't been on a TV show. A while, what station it was MSNBC, which isn't usually that hospitable to my views, and I've never been on MSNBC. Well, they were featuring an ad, the the Ed Show, and they were featuring a firefighter ad, and they have me saying that firefighters don't have all that much to do all the time, and then they showed pictures of firefighters pulling um, bodies out of burning. I, I saw somebody had that ad on a blog here in Orange County, and I watched that one, and I had to chuckle because I thought they were. Uh, keep going. I'm sorry. No, no, that's good. I, I was chuck. Well. You know, a couple years ago, that might have hurt, right, because people would have looked at that and said, you know, God, who is this guy who's um, making fun of uh, the heroes? Uh, but I, I just had nothing but calls of people laughing and, and uh, applauding me for it. It really, people know, there's this little video going around, you've maybe seen it, um, called I Am Hero and I Deserve, and it's just a little cartoon video. Oh, uh, that was on gotten. the Friends for Fullerton site, right? Yeah, Friends for Fullerton's Future, uh, yes. my friend Tony Bashala, who runs that site, he, yes. he posted that up there, and um, it's, uh, it's, it's people get it. In fact, I, I was on the Stossel show, and uh, Dave Lowe, who's a union guy, was kind of a rebuttal to me, and he said the reason that, that police and fire uh, get these enormous pensions is that they die three to five years after they retire, which um, I had actually done the research on that. And um, I, with CalPERS, which is the public employee, California Public Employee Retirement System, not a friend of mine, and I certainly am uh, not a big fan of CalPERS, but they have really good actual, actuarial numbers, and they're very helpful and nice, actually, to deal with on these things. And they sent me a presentation they did with all the data, and that the longest living category of public employee is a police officer who lives to be around in the mid-80s, low to mid-80s, and a firefighter is the number two. So they live to be, you know, 30-some years after retirement. So and, the reason I brought that up, yeah, is people, these are the emotional arguments they use that mainly are not true. Well, and, and you bring, and it's, it, you, you keyed in on that for me because when I was a cop, that was the thing that was floated around all the time. The reason we get these good pensions is because we only live, on average, five years after we die. That was a myth that uh, was told, and it's probably still told in the police department today. And uh, I, I was happy to see that you were blowing that myth out of the water. Uh, Stephen, real quick, well, let's take a quick break. Can you, come, can, you, can you hold on the line with me? Sure, as long as you need. Great. Let's um, take a quick break here. You're listening to uh, The OC Show right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm interviewing Stephen Greenhut. He's the author of Plunder, How Public Employee Unions Are Raiding Treasuries, Controlling Our Lives, and Bankrupting the Nation. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back more with Stephen, we'll be right back. The opinions and views expressed in the OC Show with Cameron Jackson do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.
listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is The O.C. Show with Cameron Jackson. Just remember, ladies and gentlemen, I am your Superman. All right, enough of that. Thank you for joining us. This is the OC Show right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am your host, Cameron Jackson, talking you, talking to you about uh, what really happens in Orange County politics. Uh, if you are just joining us and you want to continue listening once you get outside of your vehicle, go to KUCI.org. Click in the upper right-hand corner for your streaming audio. Also, you can go to my blog anytime you'd like. That is theocshow.net theocshow.net. You can listen to upcoming, uh, or you can see upcoming shows. You can listen to past interviews. You can listen to the interview that I am doing today. I am interviewing Stephen Greenhut, the author of Plunder, How Public Employee Unions Are Raiding Treasuries, Controlling Our Lives, and Bankrupting the Nation. Stephen is somebody who uh, has been writing about Orange County politics and about uh, Sacramento politics for quite some time now. And he uh, joins us today on the phone. Stephen, are you there? I'm here. Ah, great. Perfect. Um, Stephen, you know, before the break, we were talking about, um, you know, kind of the state of where we are at budget-wise with unions. We talked about um, uh, how you came up with the idea to write this uh, book. You know, one of the things that you talk about are public employee public employee unions and if we even need them what's your take on that because it was really there was like one very quick sentence at the end that pretty much spells it out should we or should we not even have public employee unions well it seems unnecessary considering the special protections that government employees already have uh, many civil service protections in in, uh, in government um, and, and the protection level is, is so high to then have collective bargaining. I think it is a bit, my, my book was not a solutions-oriented book. I, I wrote it uh, worried that the problem wasn't getting out there. And now as I go out and do the speaking tour, people want to know how, what are the solutions. So I have a chapter of pretty quick-hit solutions. Um, but uh, what's needed now is to look more, more deeply into the solutions. But I like the idea of eliminating collective bargaining. You don't want to shut down unions because I think we'll, we'll hit down, we'll hit a freedom of association issue. Uh, but the collective bargaining power of unions, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense. And one of the key problems with collective bargaining is the, the, the way it, it restricts the ability to reform public services. And we see it uh, in, in the world of public education, which our public education system is, is a mess. And uh, I was recalling, you know, the debate in, in L.A. at L.A. Unified when the mayor and the, uh, the school superintendent were debating whether the dropout rate was 50% or 30%. And, you know, if, if only 30% of your radio shows or my articles were completely flawed and, uh, you know, or, or only 30% of the cars that you bought from uh, a name or fill in a company uh, failed, you know, we would, we would have a serious problem. So it's incredibly, it's amazing what's happening in the public schools. And the mayor of Viragosa calls it the new civil rights battle of our time, this uh, education battle for how to educate poor kids. And the unions make it impossible to reform. The L.A. Times did a front-page story that I refer to in the book um, talking about how hard it is to to fire teachers who are misbehaving or allegedly misbehaving. It can take 10, 10 years of, of adjudicating through this, this union-dominated process, and it's one step after another. And L.A. Unified officials um, admit that they don't even try to get rid of incompetent teachers. We're only talking about the really bad teachers who are accused of committing, uh, in many times, crimes. How do, you, how do you run a system like that? I mean, what if my reporters were incompetent and, and I couldn't fire them? How good of a news service could I run here? And this is what collective bargaining has done. It has made it impossible to, to make the kind of changes that are needed to improve our public services. I wish that part of the debate was getting more focused and not just the financial side. The financial side is important, 
but the quality of public services issue, um, that, that's a really important uh, one, and, and one that I think can reach beyond uh, left and right. I think both sides of the political spectrum ought to be able to grasp that argument. Do you think that what's happening in Wisconsin right now, uh, if the Democrats are ever, uh, ever show back up to the Senate there and they're able to do a vote, which looks like it will pass, that would end collective bargaining in Wisconsin, Wisconsin being the birthplace of collective bargaining in the United States of America, do you think that that uh, could have ripple effects across the nation? And do you think anything like that could ever, I mean, pie-in-the-sky stuff, do you think it could ever happen in California? Well, I, I did a piece, in fact, my uh, my last column for the register, I, I made some of the comparisons because Wisconsin being you know, a progressive state and California has a, a similar progressive tradition. I mean, we're not in any danger of having a Republican or let alone a conservative Republican as governor or, uh, or uh, that conservative Republicans have any power in the legislature. Uh, however, it's possible through the initiative process that we can get some of these reforms. Will you and there's some discussion. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. There's there's some discussion about what. Yeah, it's just some discussion of it now, but I don't see a serious effort to remove collective bargaining and the initiative. But they could come through there, and if people get frustrated enough, uh, things uh, get bad enough. It could eventually happen. You, you never know. You know, you talked earlier about the Little Hoover Commission, uh, and I and I, I want to spend some time on that because it was a, a bipartisan panel of legislatures that that. It, from all intents and purposes, from what I read in the Hoover Committee, it was about over 100 pages long. They really seem to take kind of a, a, a an objective look at the pension issue here in California and essentially said, hey, there's a big problem and we need to fix this problem and we can't wait. We need to do it. Um, you know, can you discuss a little bit on what your take was on the Little Hoover Commission? And after you discuss your take on it, you know, I always like to hear what the reality is. Is it possible that that it's just something that's written and will never get passed, or do you think that people might take that um, seriously up in the legislature? No, it won't be taken seriously. The Democrats who control things have, have criticized uh, the commission. The governor uh, issued a statement that was noncommittal and, and pretty weak, uh, but it's important. I, in fact, you know, just to give you an idea of the nature of the little Hoover commission, I mean, it's like, good government-type commission. When I heard they were coming out with a report on pensions, I was a little scared that maybe they would, you know, take a very soft approach to a problem. I mean, not that I, I know the problem's there, but, but there have been some folks who have been trying to minimize the problem. And I read it, and I'm like, wow, this is this is spot on. I mean, it's really, uh, it's hard-hitting. Um, they, 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 I'm looking at the executive summary right now, and for instance, um, here it says, pension costs will crush government. Uh, budget, government budgets are being cut while pension costs continue to rise and squeeze other government priorities. Um, you know, this is, they're not, uh, they're not uh, pulling any punches. The, the math doesn't work. Uh, the system lacks discipline. The system lacks oversight and accountability. Uh, they, they complain about a lack of transparency. It says, the situation is dire. And the menu of proposed changes that include increasing contributions and introducing a second tier of benefits for new employees will not be enough to reduce unfunded liabilities to manageable levels, particularly for county and city pension plans. The only way to manage the growing size of California government's growing liabilities is to address the cost of future unearned benefits to current employees, which at current levels is unsustainable. That's what I was talking about before, which is... Uh, having to change the formula starting tomorrow uh, for current employees. And it says employers in the private sector have the ability and the authority to change future unaccrued benefits for current employees. California public employers require the ability to do the same. And and that's exactly true. And it talks about uh, capping the, the – it proposes capping pension – pensionable benefits at, uh, in the eighty to $90,000 range on the salary, the cap on the salary used to determine pension benefits. I mean, this is hard-hitting stuff, and, and uh, we, you California legislators ignore it at their own peril because something, when you run out of money, you run out of money. And what, what, what the Democrats and their union, uh, you know, union masters seem to be saying is, oh, let's just keep, uh, you know, waiting until the, the economy turns around. But we're, I think where the problem is so big, it's it's beyond the ability of, of 
of the economy to turn around to fix this whole problem. You know, you're you're up there in Sacramento now, and so you kind of get to see, I, I don't know if you see it on a daily basis, but you interact, I'm sure, more closely with what the legislature up there is doing. I, what... Explain to me and to the listener, what's the dine? This is something that I just don't understand. What's the disconnect? Because it seems like the rest of us uh, down here, and I just mean down here in, in the sense of not politicians, regular people, live in a world of reality where we understand that we can't spend more than we take in. And then you've got the California legislature, among many, uh, who just really don't seem to to care or they don't or they do what's the dynamic up there what what goes through their minds you know, it's, it's a hard one but i think that uh you know and I'm, i've been here uh, we started our uh, cow watchdog um uh news service a, a year ago january and i've got uh you know two reporters and we're we're trying to get a handle on what's going on up here i mean it's been a year for me being up here a little over a year and trying to understand how folks think, but what I'm convinced is that the dominant party here uh, believes that uh, this really isn't a big problem, that it's, 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 a, it's just, this is just a conservative assault on, on um, unions, and that the government is not big enough, they really don't think it's big enough, and that we're just all too cheap, and that all that's needed is, is more taxes to pay for all the, this government is hard-pressed and has so much to do, it's just hard for me to understand. I mean, when I went to that one hearing on the, the Senate hearing on, on the modest pension reform, and, you know, in my view, everybody I talk to and you interview is, understands this problem. And then you go there and, and you just see the unions lining up outside the hallways, um, and they're not, nobody will talk about the unfunded liabilities. That's the thing. They, they, it's just emotional arguments. I, I debated a Berkeley professor on public radio station in San Francisco, and it's it, what I, I felt like I kept getting from him were just general arguments about the importance of the union movement. One of the things that I hear from the other side will say to me, um, and I talk to a lot of the, these union guys, I mean, it's not personal in most cases, it's just a difference of opinion, uh, but they're basically trying to protect what they got. So a lot of times I don't believe I'm getting arguments from them, I'm just, they're trying to defend what they have. And they'll come to me and they'll say, well, the real problem, and this is what Bill Locke, your state treasurer, uh, as I recall, has said some variant of this, the problem is that people in the private sector aren't getting enough pensions. It's not that we're getting too much. It's that you folks aren't getting enough. But you can't magically wave a wand and give us all, you know, these 3% of 50 pensions. I mean, that's a, a silly argument because, you know, if my employer gave us the kind of pension that uh, police officers or even miscellaneous government workers got, it, how many weeks before they would go under. And also the accounting standards in the private sector are much stricter than they are in the public sector. So the public guys have had to account for these unfunded liabilities and put the, put the, law, the, the debt on their books, and the government agencies are able to obscure the debt. You know, and, of course, there's... Yeah. Well, you've used the term unfunded liabilities, and, and you know I don't want to I don't want to put our listeners to sleep, but it does need an explanation. What is an unfunded liability? Well, it's and and it's a good point that you know a lot of these terms are so boring. You know, you're like, what's it mean? Uh, and and it's easy to to just be lulled to sleep. But it's a debt. It's the debt. It's how much uh, is unfunded. The amount of debt to pay for current retirees and current employees, the predicted amount uh, beyond the amount that's funded to pay for it. So, so what happens is, in, in, uh, you know, in a normal 401k type of program that those of us in the private sector have, they're called defined contributions. You know, we'll all put in some money from my paycheck and my employer might match some of that money. And if the stock market goes up, great, I have more money in the account. If it goes down, oops, I'm going to have to delay retirement or retire with less. The defined benefit plan that government employees get, they're guaranteed a rate of return based on a formula. So if you get what's called 3% of 50, another mind-numbing formula that's just uh, bankrupting us, but, but that's what the public safety employees get. And public safety, by the way, is not just police and fire and prison guards. It's things like milk inspectors and billboard inspectors. Public defenders. Category, you know, but they get 3% of their final year's pay time the numbers of years work. So if I started as a police officer at age 20, 
and work 30 years at age 50, that's 30 years times 3%, that's 90% of my final year's pay. And then there are all sorts of ways to spike that final year's pay. So in many cases, uh, these employees, are retirees, government retirees, are earning more than 100% of their final year's pay for more years than they work. And, and, and that's how, we, and the, these are costs of living adjusted. And, and then to really, you know, shock you even more, they're, they're, health benefits are, are in many times a bigger problem than the, than the pension. And, and these, these, so that formula, the formula determines how much you get. So the, the retirement systems invest the money, and in, based on a prediction, let's say uh, predicting a rate of return, they were predicting rates of return of like 8%, um, and, and based on that rate of return, they come up with an amount that's unfunded. But if the stock market goes down and we're only getting a 6% rate of return, that unfunded liability gets higher. So, so the amount of debt is based on a prediction about how the investments will do over time. And as the, so what happened, and it, this is, gets back to the little Hoover Commission, uh, talks about how uh, during the boom time, um, uh, the, the, uh, the state and local governments spent all this money and gave richer and richer uh, pension benefits based on the sense that, that the boom times would go on forever. And then when the economy crashed, uh, they were faced with these uh, massive, uh, massive debts. And, and what the uh, Little Hoover Commission does is compare it to the housing bubble that treated like another speculative house during the boom, the state allowed public agencies and employees to pull equity in the form of increased retirement benefits from the pension funds whose value was inflated by optimistic market return estimates. That's the little over. The retirement promises that elected officials made to public employees over the last decade are not affordable, yet this is a mortgage that taxpayers cannot walk away from easily. And the main point is that the taxpayer has to make up for the difference. So if the you know, the agency gets wrong, uh, that, that, that debt, that unfunded liability, eventually we have to, we have to make good on, we, the taxpayer, have to make good on that. And that's where we're, we're, we're going to hit a cliff eventually, and that's where cities are running out of money, and the only choices are going to be to cut services since the court cases will not allow a cut back benefit. But in our county, the law against the rectal of the um, the deputies were granted a, a pension increase, uh, uh, I think it was 2%, 20%, which, going back to your point, is, is hard to understand. It doesn't sound like much, a 1% increase, but actually it's a 50% increase because 2% times 30 is 60%, 3% times 30 is 90%. Even a journalist like me can figure that out. That's a huge increase. And it goes back retroactively to the day that these employees started. So if I'm about to retire tomorrow and I get a retroactive benefit increase, going that goes back to the day I started. And this current Board of Supervisors, and they keep losing the case, but they're challenging that as an unconstitutional gift of public funds and that as an incurring of debt without a public vote. You're referring and, and you're so referring to you're referring to the just so I can catch the listener up to speed on that, the Orange County Board of Supervisors, led by John Morlock, he's been on the show here, they've been trying to sue to reverse basically what they say is a gift. That the in two thousand one when the when the board gave uh, retroactive benefits, it was a gift of public funds and you can't can't do that, and so they have lost. What the first two, the the first case, and then right. the appeal, and are they taking it up to California, or are they pass that and up to the Supreme Court yet? Where are they at? Right, I believe it's going to the uh, the state Supreme Court now. They're challenging that, and and you know it's unlikely for uh, courts, uh, especially the state Supreme Court, doesn't seem to be uh, in the business of uh, rocking the boat. But something like that ha- has to happen. I mean, it's a good. I. I think the thinking on the lawsuit is it's good. I mean, re- think about a retroactive benefit. I mean, it's one thing if, if I give my employee an increased benefit formula, it should start tomorrow. Right. Do I give it to him starting the day that he started working 30 years ago? I mean, that that's just a gift for nothing. There's nothing that the, the agency or the taxpayer gets out of it. And Gerard Miller, who's a columnist for Governing Magazine, and Governing Magazine is hardly some anti-government publication. It's a magazine for government executives, a very good one, by the way. And he said that there's never, ever any reason for retroactivity. It's a complete buy-off of public employee unions. And yet we had Todd Spitzer, who, who 
tripped all over himself to give a retroactive benefit in 2001. Jim Silva, now an assemblyman, run, wants to run for Senate. He, he, did a, he voted for a retroactive increase twice while he was on the board. The, well, and, and, the whole board and the whole board at the time, they were Republicans. They were, and Todd's excuse now, lame as it is, is that, uh, well, nobody was warning them about it. You know, I, back in 99, when uh, Lou Correa will say, uh, when he was authoring the legislation that allowed uh, localities to implement this 3% of 50 formula, which is the 90% plus formula, uh, that, well, it, the legislature was only allowing localities to do it, but they sure knew that as soon as one locality would do it, they would create this 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 uh, you know race to the top, this one way ratchet, upward ratchet, and that sure enough, not every locality has done that, but uh, most of them have, and and uh, their their excuses, and there were people warning against it at the time, and that legislation was rammed through without all the usual vetting, and so many people. But people look at their own personal self-interest, and a lot of the people making these decisions uh, benefit specifically from these these retirement increases, and it would be hard for someone to go back to their spouse and say, well, I just uh, stopped this increase that would have uh, boosted our pension by 50%. people, People get worried about retirement, but we can't afford it anymore. And we're going to end up with uh, depleted public services. I, I thought people on the left cared about the quality of public services, and and yet, uh, you know, in many ways, uh, uh, you know, the progressive agenda is at odds with with the union agenda. So um, uh, anyway, we're seeing it all. It's all it's all coming to the forefront, thanks to uh, running out of money. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Stephen Greenhut, author of Plunder, How Public Employee Unions Are Raiding Treasuries, Controlling Our Lives, and Bankrupting the Nation. You can go to my website, theocshow.net, and you can uh, click on the picture of the book to uh, head over to Amazon to check out the book if you so desire. Um, you know, we only have a couple more minutes, Stephen, and this has been incredibly insightful. And you mentioned Jerry Brown earlier. What's your take on Jerry Brown? Is Jerry Brown, uh, is he essentially the same man that he was uh, however long ago he was in office back when he left in 83, so it's been over 20 years? Is he the same man now, um, or has he made, do you think he wants to attack this problem, or does he only want to attack the problem as long as we don't bring the unions into the picture? Well, I actually wanted to like Jerry Brown. I, I didn't vote for Meg Whitman. I, I thought she was a ridiculous candidate. I didn't vote for him. I, you know, I voted for Libertarian. Uh, but but I wanted to like him. I wanted to believe that he would come in and just you know, do whatever he had to do to fix the problem. I think there are two Jerry Browns. I mean, there's the Jerry Brown who's kind of an interesting ideologue who likes ideas and is kind of an academic and a professorial type. And then there's the pragmatic Jerry Brown, the Jerry Brown who opposed Prop 13, but uh, after the public supported it, said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And I've seen some glimmers of that. For instance, his proposal to eliminate the state's redevelopment agencies, wonderful proposal. I love it. I mean, uh, that, that's a wonderful idea for probably a whole other show to discuss why that's yes. a wonderful idea. But yes. that's an out-of-the-box kind of thinking that I hoped to get. And, and I've seen some glimmers of it. I was at the press conference when he was announcing his budget, and one of the reporters asked him why he was cutting these programs for the poor. And he goes, well, that's where the money is. That's where I have to cut. That Jerry Brown, I want to see. But so far, he has not put pension reform on the table. He kicks it out to the future. After we increase taxes, then he'll give us pension reform. I don't buy it. And I, he's giving us a false choice, uh, higher taxes or cuts in government. What about all the many ways, such as pension reform and, and, and through privatization and all sorts of ways uh, that we can slim down government, make it more efficient, uh, make the services, improve the quality of services? And he's just given, given all that a pass. So I personally don't think he's I'm now convinced uh, that he's just interested in raising taxes and going back to the status quo. And I say that not as, as a Republican partisan by any means. But it's someone who actually thought that maybe he, he was the right man for the right right time, for the wrong, bad time, but maybe the right man for this job. I mean, he doesn't have any future ambition after this. And I, so far, 
other than a couple glimmers, I, I don't see a lot of a lot of hope, and I'm not encouraged by his response to the Little Hoover Commission. Uh, one last question. This one is kind of off the subject, but but you're in the you're in the mix, so you might have more insight on this. One of the things that I have talked about on the show on numerous occasions now is that if the it's all the California is all Democrat now. The legislature, every every major office, it's all Democrat. Do you think that if this state fails, if the state truly goes under, that that could have uh, ramifications for the entire Democratic Party nationwide and, and, and in essence almost discredit the party? I, I guess it could. I mean, I, I do think people increasingly are uh, locked into their ideological, you know, their, their party preferences. I, I, when we look at the enormous... Uh, you know, uh, advantage that Democrats have in the state, um, and, and I think, wow, look, things aren't going that well. Give somebody else a try, uh, and and I I don't uh, I don't have much hope now. Of course, Republican voters keep leaving the state, so so that that's part of the problem too. From a Republican standpoint, is that uh, uh, it's becoming self-selecting to a certain degree that uh, the Republicans keep leaving, and that keeps making it more difficult uh, for, for, for them here. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not a good predictor of, of what's going to happen politically, although I will say I, I did think that I wanted Obama to win for the very reason that there would be a backlash. I thought McCain would have been a disaster. Yes. I predicted that with Obama we would get some sort of uh, backlash, and, and, and I, we have seen that. We've seen the Tea Parties, and we're seeing this business with the unions, uh, the Republicans taking on the unions. Um, so, you know, anything's possible. If thing, if things have to get, my, a column I did a couple of weeks ago was Californians need to suffer more, and apparently that's what it's going to take because yes. they're not ready to make the changes uh, that need to be made uh, until things get a little worse, and uh, I don't want things to get worse. It's just um, I love the state. I'm not going anywhere, and it's, it's a great place, but uh, well, you know, I, it's, it's sometimes... I, I'm like you, though, Stephen. I think I think we're going to have to suffer a lot more. Stephen Greenhut, thank you so much. Stephen is the author of Plunder, How Public Employee Unions Are Raiding Treasuries and Controlling Our Lives and Bankrupting the Nation. It's an awesome book. You've got to pick it up. You can go to my blog, theocshow.net, to listen to this podcast later. And you can uh, check, uh, click on the book there to go over to Amazon and pick a copy up for yourself so you can read all about it. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. And also, if people could check out cowwatchdog.com for our, our new site. And I'll put, a, I'll put a link up to that on my, it's cowwatchdog, is it .com or .org? .com. .com, great. Stephen, thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate your time. Yes, thank you for having me. Okay, goodbye. So there you have it. Uh, Stephen Greenhut. It was an awesome interview. It always, uh, you know, he's just a wealth of information. And uh, the book is really an awesome book. You're, you're really going to enjoy the book. But uh, enough said there. Baby, it's another one down for the history books. You can go to my blog, theocshow.net. That is theocshow.net to uh, listen to this podcast later on in the evening. And uh, it's been fun. Coming up next is Beat Surgery, baby. Don't want to miss that one. And uh, I will see you all next week, every Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. Bye-bye.